0: Well hello friends. I'm so grateful that we've gathered together to have this important conversation about what it looks like to be people who have hope in the dark. My name is Beth and I'm privileged to be part of the teaching team here at Heritage and I want to welcome you into this conversation whether you're joining us from Bettendorf, the men at Kiwani online or at our Rock Island campus. Over the next three weeks, we're going to be really digging into this, this great conversation about hope in the dark. You know, I don't know about you, but over the last few months and even the, even the last few weeks, I've been having lots of conversation with people who are feeling the darkness and the heaviness of the world around them. And for some, of them, for some of us, that looks like just turning on the news, picking up a newspaper and reading about what's happening in the world around us. And when we see news about massive fires and famine and war and rumors of war and escalating violence and tension and the political cycle and on and on it goes, there certainly is a heaviness and a darkness that can come with that. But that's kind of going on out there. For others of us in our own home, what's going on inside of our bodies even is causing us to feel a darkness and a heaviness. It may be that you're going through a time of loss or grief, sadness, confusion, pain. Maybe you've gotten a diagnosis recently for you or someone that you love that you're coming to terms with. And the reality is for all of us, because we're living in this broken world, whether we're in a season right now of darkness or not, we will encounter it. If you're in a season that's not marked by darkness, just praise Jesus. That's awesome. And be present with that. But the reality is that the seasons of darkness come. And really, we have a choice now. To choose to be a people who are marked by hope, no matter whether we're in a season of light or a season of darkness, to be a people who are marked by hope. You see, for centuries, believers have prayed a prayer in times of darkness that was this, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come And it's an opportunity to recalibrate whatever season you're in, that season of darkness. Am I clinging to anything? Am I finding hope or strength in anything but Jesus? And to calibrate to the reality that we, as followers of Jesus, we're just sojourners. We're just passing through this world Headed to our ultimate, final, eternal destination. That which we were created for. Relationship and proximity to Jesus. As people who follow Christ, one of the things that I love about this journey is that we are people of hope. We are resurrection people. We are people who serve a Jesus who came and lived and died, but he triumphed over death and the grave and his whole life screams that death does not have the final word. And so whatever darkness you are facing, there is hope in that we serve a risen Jesus. We are people of hope. Throughout our conversation over the next few weeks, we're going to be grounding in Romans 15. And I encourage you to spend some time in that passage of scripture. This coming week, the next week. But we're going to frame our entire conversation with Romans 15:13, And this is what it says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. Why? So that you may overflow with hope by the power of Holy Spirit. You see, there's a condition that's laid out in this passage. There's a connection between trusting God and experiencing hope. It says, as you trust in him, you will experience hope, not just a little bit of hope. But as you trust in him, you will experience hope and joy and peace and love that doesn't just fill us but makes us have a full and overflowing life. Pastor Sean preached a great sermon last weekend talking about the difference between a filled life and a full life. And the invitation before us is to be a people that are not just filled with hope but full of hope, overflowing I believe that if we were a people who lived lives that were marked by overflowing hope, the people around us would be amazed. Because they would look at the circumstances, they would look at the darkness, they would look at the things that we're confronting. And they would say, man, there's no reason that they should have hope overflowing like that. What is going on with them? This is what the scripture talks about when it says always be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within you, it's assuming that people can see the hope that is within you. And our invitation is to live in that space of hope as we trust in him. But here's where I think we get messed up in this journey. I think we, tr- we struggle with trusting God. And I think part of our struggle in that. because we don't know him we know about him but we don't know him you see scripture unfolds for us who the godhead is the trinity god the father jesus the son holy spirit all of the pages are open for us to understand this beautiful dance this beautiful community that they exist in And I think for many of us, we look at Jesus and we're like, okay, the Jesus thing, I get that, red letter words of Jesus. Jesus came, he died, he died for me, he must love me. And so we get the Jesus part. And Holy Spirit, we're like, all right, I'm curious about that. Jesus left, Holy Spirit's here, that seems generally positive and that's good. But I think that we get hung up with hope. We want hope. But we struggle with trusting God because a lot of us are walking around resenting God. We're mad at God. We're disappointed in God. We're confused about what God is doing or not doing. And we judge our relationship with God and what he's doing for us and how he loves us by what is happening in our life. And the reality is our relationship with God has got to be rooted in what? In who he is. Not just looking at the things that are happening around us. This is the invitation for us to walk hope in the dark. We're going to look at Isaiah 45 together. The book of Isaiah is one of my favorite books of the Bible. It it just screams Christ It's the prophet Isaiah, and it's the voice of God so many times that's pointing to Christ. But there's a refrain that occurs in Isaiah, and we see it especially in Isaiah 45. And this is the phrase, I am the Lord, and there is no other. And I think for many of us, the secret for us of actually being able to experience hope in the dark is settling in our hearts that he is God, we are not. And there is no other let's read together isaiah 45 starting in verse 6b so all the world from east to west will know there is no other god i am the lord and there is no other i create the light and make the darkness i send good times and bad times we've talked about this before as a church that he either orchestrates or allows the circumstances in our life. I, the Lord, I am the one who does these things. Open up, O heavens, and pour out your righteousness. Let the earth open wide so salvation and righteousness can sprout up together. I, the Lord, created them. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it saying, stop it, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? How terrible would it be if a newborn baby said to its father, why was I born? Or if it said to its mother, why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says, the Holy One of Israel and your creator Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth and I created people to live on it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All of the stars are at my command. He is the Lord and there is no other. So how do we stand strong and hope? I think this gets to our our identity, our being. We've got to settle who we are in relationship to God. And I think we come at this question with really one of two postures. I think there's a large group of us that approach God and we struggle fundamentally with believing that we're lovable, that we're worthy, and and that he actually does love us. And so we're judging what's happening around us in that basic struggle of could he really love me? I think there's another group of us that approach God and we struggle with this question. God, can I depend on you? Can I really trust you? And that kind of gets to, the, gets to the, really, the tension around control. And I think I think we need to know what our primary struggle is with God. Is it around lovability or is it around trust and control? Because that helps us to unlock part of our identity that we need to come to peace with in our relationship with God. So how do we stand strong in hope? We've got to know God. And we know God by relating to God through Jesus and anchoring in Holy Spirit. This is that trinity that we're invited to relate to. But specifically, knowing God. Again, I think we, we connect on the Jesus plane more readily and Holy Spirit, we're at least willing to lean into. But knowing God, a lot of us, I think God has felt maybe distant, mysterious, and we haven't leaned in to knowing him. Psalm 91 assures us in verse 14 that he wants us to know him and he wants us to know him by name. One of the ways that we get to know God is we cultivate our prayer life. We spend time in the presence of God, talking, listening, being silent, being present with. We invest the time in the relationships that we care about in a conversation. And so we've got to do it. There's no shortcut to that. Another thing that we need to do, another practice that we need to engage in to stand strong and hope is to root ourselves in scripture. This is absolutely vital to our survival in the darkness to withstanding the storms and the challenges that will come in life. You know, one of the things that I do at the beginning of every year, and I try to start this before the year actually changes, is just to, to start spending time with Holy Spirit and saying, Is there a word that you have for me in this coming year that you want to stretch me in, that you want to challenge me with, that you want to mold and shape me as clay into? And for years and years and years now, he's been really faithful to to give me a word to kind of just keep in front of me. But another practice that I've engaged with at the end of the year is to look back on my journey with God and to see what is a name of God that he has demonstrated to me consistently over the last year. Because God wants to be known by name. There are names for Jesus, Jesus, the good shepherd, the vine. And I think again, we're more familiar and maybe more comfortable with those. Holy Spirit is our comforter and our guide. But the names of God such a powerful way to know God more personally, to understand the character of who God is. These are some of the names of God that have been really precious to me in my journey with Him. Elroy, the God who sees us, God shows up to a Gentile in Genesis who's been abandoned and abused, left with a child. It's a woman. No, it makes no sense. It's crazy that God would be so good and so personal to show up in a space with her and say, Hagar, I am El Roy. I am the God who sees you. That has been a comfort to me in so many seasons of life and so much darkness where it felt like what was happening was invisible to the people around me. And that God himself, could have intervened, but didn't. And so I've struggled to know, God, where were you? Because if you'd really seen this, how come you didn't do anything? And he's allowed me to rest in this truth that he is the Lord and there is no other. And he has brought the good times and the bad times and he sees all of them. God sees you. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. He is Jehovah Rapha. He is the God who heals us. He is El Shaddai, Lord God Almighty, Most High. He's Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He's Jehovah Nisi. He's the God who goes before us. He is your miracle. He is your banner. He is your covering. I encourage you, If you've never looked at God in this way, it's a way to break down this whole, like, God, which feels so big, into a personal, intimate connection. I encourage you to grab hold of one of these. Ask God to demonstrate himself to be that for you in whatever season, whatever darkness you're facing. You know, when we don't trust God, we're going to struggle with hope. And our supply of hope will always be finite. Our hope will run out if it is not anchored in God's faithfulness, in his sovereignty, in his character, in his love. There's a great song out by Alyssa Turner. It's called Miracle or Not. She struggled with chronic illness and the loss of an infant son, and and her her whole album, just, if you're, if you're needing hope in the dark, I encourage you to go to iTunes somewhere, Spotify, download this. But this is a, a phrase from that song. It says, I know you love me, miracle or not. I'll shout this louder than the ache until hope awakes. I know you love me, miracle or not. The story of Job is full of this sentiment that though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. My trust is in him. And so I have hope, hope in whatever darkness comes. At the end of the book, Job says this, he's talking to God. He says, my ears had heard of you, but now I see you. It's like, but now I recognize you. In the darkest days of his life, he came to this place of knowing God and trusting him. And so his whole life just shouts hope, hope that's overflowing. My friends, we are people of hope and this is our invitation for all of our life to shout hope. And so how do we anchor our lives Romans 15 verses 4 through 6 tell us this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The scriptures are what encourage us. The scriptures are what teach us how to endure. I brought my favorite Bible with me to preach this weekend. I don't know if you're allowed to have favorites or if that's even like right or whatever, but this is my favorite. This Bible has been with me through so much of life. It's got sticky notes everywhere and all kinds of things stuck in it and writing all over its pages. This scripture has sustained me. This scripture is lifeblood to me. This scripture has sown seeds. In my life, that I didn't know I would need until the darkness came. And then those scriptures that have been planted and taken root began to bloom inside my life in some of the darkest moments. There's no shortcut for this process, you can't sleep with this under your pillow and wake up and all of a sudden scripture has taken root. I guess you can listen to it on on Audible or something and go to sleep and maybe that's getting inside of you. I don't really care what it takes. I, I wanna encourage you, implore you, beg you to spend time in scripture and allow it to take root in your life. Because all scripture is God-breathed. It is inspired by God. It teaches us what is true and makes us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong. It teaches us to do what is right. And God uses scripture to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. This is how we get to know God. This is how we gain confidence in who he is. And that our life is not about us. Our life, it's really about him. I think for me, so much of my journey has just been coming to grips with the fact that, that I am here breathing air to exist as a conduit. Of what God wants to do through my life to point people to him. But that means we've got to get over ourselves and say... He is the Lord, and there is no other. So how do we stay active in a troubled world? There's an invitation to not just stand strong and be, but to actually engage in the world around us. For many of us, when we see, you know, war, rumors of war, when we see violence happening, when we see things happening around us, or we've got something going on personally, what we want to do is we want to retreat. And we want to conserve our resources, and we want to build a bunker, and we want to survive, and we want to tie a knot and hang on, and we want to just kind of hunker down. But there's an invitation from God to join him and the work that he's doing in the world around us. And to engage in the good work that he has for us to do. And so how do we do this? We've got to choose it. It won't just happen. We've got to choose faith over fear and hope over discouragement and victory over defeat. Fear is a real thing. The darkness is ominous. And for many of us in the dark, we want to give in to fear. But this is what scripture says. When we are afraid, we can trust in him. We are people who have been called out of darkness and into light. He is the one who is an anchor for our soul and ever-present help in times of trouble. If we viewed scripture as seeds that we get planted in the soil of our lives, that we allow to take root, it changes how we view our darkest moments and our darkest seasons. I was talking with a friend recently who's in a dark season and and she's not minimizing what she's going through. She's acknowledging the grief and the sorrow and the sadness and the lament that she's in. But it's so beautiful and so encouraging to spend time with her. Because as hard as it is and as painful as it is and as sad as it is, she just exuded this peace and this serenity that God's got her and that she's anchored in him and she can't wait to see what blooms out of the seeds that have been planted. You see, we have a choice to make in the dark. Is the darkness a threat or is the darkness an opportunity? You know, in the days to come, I think there may be more darkness ahead of us. For one, it's a political cycle. 2020 is going to be challenging. There is darkness to come. But my friends, the dark is where the people of God can shine the brightest. Is the darkness a threat or is it an opportunity? You know, one of the things that I love to do, I love to travel. I love to go to new places. And I love to kind of look at what's happening around me And look for life springing forth in unlikely places. And so, Sean's finally used to it. You know, we'll be driving along in a new place. And I'll be like, hey, pull over. Um, And he's like, all right. So he does. And and I'll jump out. And I want to take a picture of of life springing forth. Recently, I was in Israel. And we were out in the desert walking along, very brown, very barren. And I saw this flash of red kind of off to my right. And I jumped off the trail, and this is what I found, this little poppy. And this stem on it was so incredibly thin. I couldn't believe that it had survived, and I couldn't figure out, like, why is this here? I'm looking around. There was another red flower anywhere in sight. I love to see life springing forth in unlikely places. Here's another uh, example of this. We were in Colorado hiking, and this sheer rock wall was here, and there was a tree literally growing out of the wall of rock. So I like scrambled over and took a picture and honestly I stopped and I applauded this tree. This is resilient. This is beautiful. I feel like this for me, this is like an imagery of my life. Life springing forth in an unlikely place where it makes no sense. Beauty. A tree growing out of the side of a rock, willing to embrace this space. We're not in a forest, not planted around other trees, but to say, All right, this is my seed. This is where we've been planted. What can we grow? to see what can happen. Christine Kane says this about the dark place. She says, sometimes when you're in a dark place and you think you've been buried, you've actually been planted. And I think we have a choice to make. In the darkness, do we view it as being buried or are we willing to change our lens and see the opportunity there is in it to actually be planted? I don't know if you've been paying attention to the news at all and been watching what's happening in Australia. Uh, but it's it's pretty staggering, uh, the fires that have been happening over there. And I recently saw this image where they it was like a satellite overhead and it just looked like all of Australia was burning. And this has been going on for weeks now. Um, and I'm always frankly fascinated when it comes to disaster um, on a scale like that and to watch what happens in the ecosystem that's being affected. And so it's been really amazing to hear the stories that are coming out of the fires. The people of Australia coming together. Firefighters, volunteer firefighters, leaving their jobs working day after day after day. Medical professionals who treat people normally, turning themselves into veterinarians to help deal with the wildlife that have been just decimated. Hundreds of thousands of acres burned, lots of property lost, very few lives lost, which I think is a tribute to the Australian people and how they've worked together to rescue people and alert people and get ahead of things as much as they can. I was recently reading an article about what's been happening with the wildlife, and um, Kangaroo Island was an area that had been used to really bring a bunch of species back from the edge of extinction. And in just a matter of a few days, they've just lost thousands and thousands of animals. But as biologists and ecologists have have looked at, at what animals survived and how did they survive and what's going on in the system, they came to realize something interesting about wombats. Wombats are the unsung heroes of these bushfires. You see, wombats build tunnels that go down up to 150 feet, and they're massive networks that they build, and it's allowed them to go deep enough to survive the fires. But what I really love about this story is the wombats know about their tunnels, and they know that this will work for them and they'll survive. But they have opened up the tunnels to all kinds of animals. And basically, if you're an animal that can fit in a wombat tunnel, you're welcome. You've experienced sanctuary. And so they found skinks and echidnas and wallabies and lizards and all kinds of things are now emerging from the devastation of the fires out of these wombat tunnels. Life. Life finding a way and passing on that hope that you can go deep enough you can go deep enough to survive the fire there's a man named Murray Lowe he's 71 and he's an amateur photographer and he was just wanting to do something to encourage the Australians that they're winning the battle against the fire and so he's gone out and he's taken beautiful pictures like this. This is just within two weeks or so of fire completely devastating everything, and you can see that life is already finding a way. There haven't been rains, and so this is somewhat unexplainable to the ecologists and others who are looking at this. How resilient, how beautiful, what a reminder to us that the seeds that are planted in the dark can spring forth no matter what devastation we encounter. Isaiah 43 talks about it like this. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. I'm doing a new thing. We serve a God who is always doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? Behold, I am making streams in the wasteland, away in the desert. Pastor Sean talked about this last week, how unforgiveness that we hold on to chokes out the good things that God wants to do in our life. And I hope that if you're holding on to that, you've been able to come to peace with that and to release that unforgiveness. Because unforgiveness also squeezes out hope. It's not a hopeful posture. Towards people, towards ourselves, towards God... What is the new thing he wants to work in your season of darkness? I believe that it's already springing up if you have eyes to see it. Back in Isaiah 45, starting in verse 22, God says this. He says, let all the world look to me for salvation this is the invitation that the world is resisting, that salvation is in Christ alone. For he is God, there is no other. I've sworn by my own name, I have spoken the truth and God never goes back on his word. He is victorious. We serve a victorious God And so we are invited to live in a posture that is victorious. God declares that ultimately every knee will bend to him, every tongue will declare allegiance to him, and all the people will declare, the Lord is the source of all my righteousness and all my strength, and all who were angry with him will come to him and be ashamed. In the Lord, all the generations of Israel will be justified, and in him they will boast, and in him they will have hope. Our invitation, my brothers and sisters, is to settle ourselves into the arms of the one who fashioned us in our mother's womb, who breathed life into you, who holds your days in the palm of his hand and trust him. He is for you. He loves you. He's got you and he is not done with you. He is breathing hope into your lungs even now. And one of the things that I love about hope is when we start to get filled up with hope, all we can do is praise him. Because he is the Lord and there is no other. I pray that you would settle yourselves in that truth, that it would comfort you, and that it would speak hope and life to you. You know, in a world that has a lot of challenges and a lot of things that can stress us out and steal our joy, um, I wanna celebrate something great that is going on that is hopeful that we get to be a part of. And that's our relationship with Zoe. You know, in September, we sent our first team to connect with our Conquerors group. And I love these smiling, confident, hopeful faces that they encountered in September. Just a few short months before, that was not their experience. There was a lot of darkness for them. And it has been beautiful to bear witness to this transition of what it looks like for children who have been ultimately... Uh, largely left in darkness and don't even understand what hope looks like to feel hopeful. And a huge part of their hopefulness has come from knowing God, relating through Jesus, and being anchored in Holy Spirit. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing we get to bear witness to. I invite you to keep praying for our group. Many of you took took prayer cards and you adopted a family in prayer. And I just wanna keep that in front of you. The harvest season has been tough in Kenya and they've had drought and they've had locusts. And so Zoe is working with our first year groups to help them sort of recalibrate out of that. But the reality is as hopeful as they are, there are tangible obstacles in their way. And so let's keep praying for them. We are gonna be sending another team from Heritage to to meet up with our group, to encourage them, to love on them, to celebrate them in June. If that is something that you're interested in, I know many of you have taken applications. We're receiving those now and need those back by the end of this coming week. So if you've got questions about that, um, please talk to one of your campus pastors. You can email Caroline, you can talk to me. Um, We're really excited about the opportunity to send another team, out to bear witness to what God, the seeds of hope that God is sowing. We're also really excited to announce that we are adopting another Zoe group in Liberia. And so um, Liberia is, it's a tough country. They've got a lot of challenges. Um, And so we're really excited to get to be a part of that journey. And so just like last year, you can start praying for the group that God will knit together. That's gonna be happening over the next few months. And then in the spring, we'll get the names of our kids and we'll put out prayer cards and you'll be able to adopt a family in prayer as well. Um, I'm grateful for Zoe and how they just firmly believe that no matter what the soil might look like to the naked eye, whether that looks like a child that's been orphaned or abused or doesn't have resources, that hope is always possible because of Jesus. And so it's a beautiful thing that we get to continue to come alongside and encourage each other with. Uh, But I wanna pray for us now. Because I realize that for many of us, the darkness, it just feels pressing. And so I'm just gonna pray hope and peace and joy and love over us. Let's pray together. Father, El Roy, El Shaddai, Jehovah Jireh, how grateful we are that we can know you, that you want to be known, that you want to have relationship with us. I pray that you would, you would, in these coming days and weeks, that you would help us to settle into this truth, that you are God and there is no other. Father, if there's areas of our life where we have other gods before you, would you convict us? Would you show us what those are? Would you root those out in us so that we can live a life that is fully surrendered to your Lordship at work in us? Father, I pray that you would breathe hope into the lungs of my brothers and my sisters, that you would assure them that you see them, that nothing is too difficult for you. May all of our hope and all of our confidence be found in you. Oh, how we love you. Thank you. Thank you for loving us, for being a God that we can depend on. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.